0: There is nothing too great, no circumstance, no situation, no set of challenges that are greater than Christ, for it is the sufficiency and the centrality of Christ in our lives that determines who we are and how we live. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today we're turning to Philippians chapter 2 and we're reading together verses 1 through 11. Over the last few Sunday mornings, we have been spending our time in the New Testament book of Philippians, and we're turning to Philippians chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We know, of course, the Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. He's writing around the year AD 60, and he's writing to encourage the church in Philippi. And you'll find it on page 1827, 1827 of the church Bible. And Paul begins, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. We do trust that God will bless to us this reading from His holy Word. In the course of a year, I, like each of our pastors, find myself involved in a number of weddings And this past Friday evening, I was involved in a wedding. And the difference about this past Friday evening is this, that one of the participants in the wedding ceremony was 88 and the other was 85. And I don't think they're planning on a family soon. (laughs) But it was just a great joy to get to know them. And one of my first questions to them when they came to see me was this, do you fully understand what you're about to do? And over subsequent weeks when I got to know them and heard a little of their story, I discovered this, that in their mind they had an attitude about the future and where God was calling them, thrilled and delighted at God's faithfulness to them up to this point in their married life. But now, With a mental attitude of gratitude and fortitude, they were moving forward and couldn't wait to see what God had in store for them. And when I was beginning to prepare for Philippians chapter 2 earlier this week, that's exactly the attitude you find here in the Apostle Paul, languishing in a Roman prison cell, about to go on trial for his faith. He should have been facing some of the darkest days of his entire life, but his attitude was one of looking forward, an attitude of gratitude, thankful for all that God had been doing in his life up to this point, and with great anticipation was moving forward, anticipating what God was about to do. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we discovered in chapter 1, verse 21, what I suggested then was perhaps the great theme, not only of the apostles' life, but should be for our lives as well. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And we saw some of those themes coming out again last Sunday morning when Charlie very ably led us through the end of chapter 1. Remember... Chapter 127, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so that sets up for us an introduction to chapter 2. As we come this morning, you will remember, of course, that chapter 1, the Apostle Paul focused on what it meant to to have a secure spiritual home a place where you sense that you belong, a place that is life-giving and life-affirming, a place of engagement with the living God. And I imagine that first Sunday when an elder in the church at Philippi stood up back in 60 A.D., unrolled the scroll from the apostle Paul, you could hear a pin drop as he took them through chapter 1 and now into chapter 2. And as you come to chapter 2, The Apostle Paul gives us a powerful reminder that it is not enough to come to church on a Sunday morning simply for information and inspiration. But in chapter 2, he's encouraging us to take the biblical principles he lays out for us and then apply them to the challenging and messiness of our everyday living that's exactly where he's going in chapter 2. Look at it with me again at verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Any encouragement from being united with Christ. That theme, united with Christ, is one of the great themes of the New Testament. It plays a central part, not only in the Pauline epistles, but also in the Gospels. And the Apostle Paul is laying out with stunning clarity what does it mean to be united with Christ And this morning, you may be here and saying, Richard, when I first read that moments ago when we were reading it together, I asked myself this what does it mean? And if you're here this morning and saying, Richard, I understand it plays a central part in the Pauline epistles, I understand it's a major focus of the gospel, but unwrap it for me. Help me to understand and grasp what Paul means when he says that you are united with Christ. Well, allow me to do exactly that. Whenever an individual comes under the convicting hand of God, And he has his hand upon their life. And he draws them to himself. God is not interested in a cosmetic, external work. But when God goes to work in our lives, it becomes radical and deep and vital and essential. And that's what's happening right here. When we are united with Christ, God brings us to that place of deep, overwhelming conviction of our own sin. And He takes us to a place when we willingly, gladly confess our sins and are then what? united with Christ as the Holy Spirit himself then comes to dwell within our heart and soul. That's what it means to be united with Christ. It's not just something that happens intellectually, it's something that happens supernaturally. The Spirit of God indwells us, and you've heard me say it again and again over these last 12 to 14 months, that the same moral and supernatural power that raised Christ back from the dead lives in us. And that's why Paul goes on about it again and again and again. It is that intimate, vital supernatural work of God taking place in the life of the believer. And that's why he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ as you grow and mature in your faith, as you move on, understand this, that Christ is your source of living, your resource of for living. He's your beginning and your end, your origin and your destiny. The very resource for life itself is Christ in you. The apostle Paul has said on multiple occasions and says again throughout Philippians, "'There is nothing too great.'" No circumstance, no situation, no set of challenges that are greater than Christ. For it is the sufficiency and the centrality of Christ in our lives that determines who we are and how we live. That's the point he's making. For if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, then he adds if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being light minded and have the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, I've got that. I understand it. But how do we become As a church, as a large church with multiple ministries, lots of Sunday schools and life groups and community groups taking part, how do we as this large entity, how do we become one in spirit and like-minded? Well, Paul tells us again, look what he says next. Or let me rephrase it this way. If you have any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. What does that mean? The Apostle Paul, as he's encouraging them with great anticipation to become the people God is calling them to be, he's saying, remember who you are, united in Christ That is right at the center of your core values. That's what defines you. You belong to Him. And if we are to take these principles and apply them in the messiness of everyday living, how do we do it? simply this, that we grow and develop in community. And I think we would say this, from our own personal experience, that there are moments of incredible growth and deep intimacy that happen only in community. Only in community. If you are standing off from the things of God, coming on Sunday morning, then can't wait to get home and get about the rest of your day, and you are not actively involved in a small group Bible study, whether it be Sunday school, or a life group, or a community group, in the course of the week, a men's group, a ladies group, what you will discover is this, that when isolation takes place, you begin to become cool toward your Christian friends, and your learning diminishes Because it's in community that intimacy, maturity, learning take place. And that's why he's saying, even though you are united with Christ, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Focus on your core values. That's what he's saying. You may be saying again, Richard, I hear you, I've got those principles, I understand them, but help me please apply them. I hear what you're saying. Well, that's exactly what Paul does next. And notice how he does it. He takes them to another level entirely. And he says this at verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, what does that mean in a practical, everyday scenario? Well, it means this, that when a husband subjugates his own desires and wants for his wife and his family— what is he doing? He's following the principle, do nothing out of selfish ambition. When a mother puts on the back shelf her agenda, her wants, her desires for her children, and ends up taking them to soccer practice, and music practice, and gym class, and ballet lessons, she's putting her own wants, her own needs, her own desires on the back shelf, doing nothing out of selfish ambition. When the athlete steps back for the good of the team and gives the team the glory and honor they deserve, the athlete is saying and remembering and applying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. When the Christian is unselfish, others mean more to him than himself. Pride has no place in the Christian life. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us here. And you may be tempted this morning to say, Richard, hold on, let me push back once again. And some of you are doing that, and that's good and healthy. Does this mean that I have no self-regard? Does this mean that I have no self-esteem or self-confidence, that I always want to put others first rather than self? No. This is about an attitude of the mind. The individual who takes these principles, refusing to be selfish, ambitious, or live with vain conceit, has got nothing to do with self-confidence or self-worth or self-esteem. Because the Christian, fully engaged with Christ, united with Him, Doesn't think less of himself. He just doesn't bother to think of himself at all. That's what's going on here. If you are united with Christ, if you're growing and maturing in community, that's the place where you will be refined and shaped and fashioned by the Spirit of God and self worth and self esteem really don't matter anymore. Why? Because your contentment and your confidence is then found in Him, because you know you are loved with an everlasting love. That's what's going on here. And finally, in these closing verses, we come to what is one of the greatest Christological statements of the entire New Testament, and it is impossible for me to do it justice in the closing two minutes that we have. Why? Because here, for the first time in the writings of the Apostle Paul, you receive the redemptive, eternal purposes of God, not from our perspective, but in fact from. God's perspective, and it is utterly masterful. And it's masterful, why? Because Paul writes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and becoming in human likeness. And the most unprecedented transformation in all of history took place when Jesus stepped back, stepped back from absolute perfection and undiminished deity, stepped away from the glory and adoration and devotion of countless millions of the angelic host and stepped into this world where he was cursed and rejected for us. And it seems appropriate on a communion Sunday that we should find ourselves here, that he gave up intimacy and that eternal relationship with his Father in order that we would come to know him. That's what's going on here. And at Christmas, the hymn writer got it right— Lo within the manger lies he who built the starry skies. That's what's going on here. And in Second Corinthians the Apostle Paul put it this way Though he was rich beyond imagination, he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. That's why the apostle Paul was filled with the joy of Christ, because his confidence and his destiny and his resource for living and his future all lay within the purposes and plans and the hands of God. And so when we as a congregation continue to follow him, continue to have our eye on the future... What is it we do? We become, because we are united with Christ, a people whose dreams and passion and great longing are greater than our memories. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Take us please today... And help us to find that quiet moment when we read it again, go over it once more, and understand afresh what it means to be united with Christ and to live with and for and by Him each day. Father, hear our prayers, for we bring them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.